0: Are southwest at seven, the barometers at twenty-nine, eighty-nine, and it's steady, the relative humidity fifty-seven percent, here at our studios 75 with clear skies. That's our weather situation up to the minute. I'm meteorologist Tom Churchill. WPCA radio weather has been made possible at this time by your friends at Austed Supervalue on U.S. Highway 8 in Turtle Lake. On the web at AustedSupervalue.com. Adam and Jody invite you to stop in soon. The time is now. Nine. Indeed it is, and that means it's time for Deep Roots Radio, right here at 93.1 WPCA, or you're listening online at wpcaradio.org. Joining me now in studio is Sylvia burgos toffness from Bullbrook Keep. Good morning, Sylvia.
1: (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. What a bright and warm morning. It's beautiful. Good heavens, it's nearly 80 degrees. Summery. It feels weird. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it came <laughs> overnight, didn't it? It certainly did. This has been an interesting time of uh, climate irregularities, uh, regardless of what you think about climate change. It's been really an interesting few years with all the seesawing of of uh, weather events. I guess they're calling it. Mm. Well, you know, Dave Corbett. Over the years, I have had the the great privilege of bringing in bread every once in you a while. You
0: have, and I've uh, benefited from that.
1: And it's it's been a lot of fun to be able to uh, ply you with my sourdough breads of, of um, all kinds of varieties. I make a, a, a French mild sourdough mm-hmm. that sometimes is filled with Kalamata olives, sometimes it's got raisins and fennel, sometimes it's 70% whole wheat, at other times it's 30% whole wheat and then covered with sesame seeds. So there's all kinds of variations, and certainly that's mm-hmm. one of the things I love about making French um, mild sourdough uh, in that it's a fun kind of bread to teach mm-hmm. as well. You know, I can I can give you the bread. I can certainly serve you some of this bread at home. I can teach my students, my bread-baking students, all about how to make French uh, sourdough, and I also teach them about making ciabatta. But did you know... That Wisconsin and New Jersey are the only states where I couldn't sell it to you. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yes. uh, uh, But. Yes, but. So we've had a ban in this state on selling farm-baked goods. Okay. So let's say I was an innkeeper. I could serve them to you. But if Mm -hmm. you said, oh, Sylvia, wrap up a few of those muffins so that I can take them home with me, Mm -hmm. we couldn't do it. Huh. There is a change. There has been a change, however, made, at least in the state of Wisconsin. This past Wednesday, a state judge ruled that this ban against selling farm-baked goods Mm -hmm. is unconstitutional. Oh, okay. And one of the women, one of the farm women, or rather women farmers, who led the charge against this ban... Is Lisa Kiverist. She is the uh, she is a prolific author. I have many many of her books. She is an, a with her husband John Avanco. They run a, a place called Serend- in Serendipity Farm Bed and Breakfast. Hmm. She and Chris Marion and Della Enns filed a lawsuit against the state of Wisconsin that has culminated in this ruling this, just this past Wednesday. And we have on the line with us, Lisa Kiverist, who will give us a little bit more background on this entire situation and what the next steps are. Lisa, how are you?
2: Great. Good morning, Sylvia. Hi.
1: Hi, hi. My goodness, Lisa, this was a long effort, wasn't it? When did it start?
2: <laughs> the years are getting fuzzy. Well, specifically, in 2010, Wisconsin passed the Pickle Bill, which is our current cottage food legislation that covers high-acid foods could be made in a home kitchen for public sale, and that introduced me to cottage food opportunity. And it's funny, Sylvia, because selling things from your home kitchen to your neighbor is about as old a commerce as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is nothing new. However, because of a lot of regulations in various state commerce, this hasn't been legal in a lot of states for a long time. Most states started passing these cottage food laws in 2008 when the Great Recession hit, and forward-thinking states were thinking, gee, what could we do to help support small-scale entrepreneurs get started in food businesses? So that's what sparked me when I heard this passed in Wisconsin, and I quickly started researching other states and said, This is great, but every other state includes baked goods. I run a bed and breakfast. I make muffins every morning. And let's just be honest. People will buy and eat a whole lot more cookies than they will sauerkraut. So (laughs) immediately since the opportunity, we went through multiple rounds to try to get legislation passed, hit political barriers of various sorts, and then a year ago in January 26th, filed the lawsuit that was ruled on uh, this past week.
1: So much effort. How, how is it that you and Chris and Della got together on this?
2: We uh, partnered with the Institute for Justice, which is a nonprofit law firm that represents citizens like ourselves who are often <laughs> the underdog in a fight against unjust regulations It just so happened that we three know each other very well. We're in the same south-central Wisconsin farmhood here, and both in our own way have uh, struggled with this barrier, and we're really passionate about getting it changed. So it's always a much more fun and supportive journey when you can... uh, Enter the judicial system with friends. I highly recommend it.
1: <laughs> well, kudos to the three of you. This has been an amazing, amazing effort. Now, what do you think economically it's going to mean for farm bakers?
2: Farm bakers in particular, and I was getting hungry hearing your descriptions of your bread, Sylvia, but you're a great example. You are a expert baker. You're making this already. I am sure your local community would be lining up at the market to buy your bread. So the neat thing about cottage food law is it's very self-determined in the sense of, in my research for the Homemade for Sale book, which is a more of a national guide for cottage food startups, in my research for that, the majority of cottage food businesses are small. They um, are something that somebody does on the side or a farm uses to diversify their income. So in this case it can be whatever somebody wants. It could be something that perhaps as a farmer you do more of the baking in the off-season and hit the winter markets. Mm. A CSA could offer a bread share every week. There's lots of ways to, to slice this cake, if you will, but it bottom line empowers a lot of people who are home bakers who are, I'm sure, as we do, give our stuff away and People are nudging you constantly, saying, this is delicious. I bet you could sell this. I'm sure you hear that, Sylvia, yes. all the time. <laughs> and it's a springboard to becoming a real-life entrepreneur overnight. And that is one empowering transaction for people, for our community, and definitely for our local rural economies, especially in our farm communities.
1: Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Lisa Kiveris, who is an uh, educator, author, and very staunch and active activist for women farmers and their ability to make business in order to make um, use their skills to bring in revenue just to mention this you mentioned the numbers of books that you've written Lisa and I do want to let people know that they can get uh, a number of books that you have written either by yourself or co-authored with your husband one of them is ecopreneuring putting purpose and the planet before profits another is Homemade for Sale, how to set up and market a food business from your home kitchen. And you say that in this one, you've actually taken a look at cottage uh, law kind of nationwide.
2: Yes. Homemade for Sale specifically focuses on helping folks start businesses in their home kitchen. So every state that has a cottage food law, and every state does except New Jersey, and they have pending legislation The state laws really vary, and this has to do with our fundamental constitution and states' rights and states' control, particularly the food commerce. So it's really important because you can't look across the border and say, well, so-and-so can do this in Iowa or so-and-so can do this in Illinois, because they really vary. We can look to states that are at the forefront of very... um, supportive cottage food laws in how well they're working. Mm-hmm. Minnesota, for example, has a strong cottage food law that includes baked goods, and they've registered over 2,300 new entrepreneurs since their uh, cottage food law went into effect in 2015. So, so the Homemade for Sale book peeks you through the tools to navigate your state law, questions to ask. How much can I gross sales-wise? What can I sell? Where can I sell? And then the marketing and the business side. Because, again, you're not giving it away for free anymore. (laughs) You are a business person, and it involves tracking your expenses, making a profit, and treating yourself professionally.
1: When it comes to the state of Wisconsin and what we're looking at in the way of, and I think it's called a cookie law, so it has to do with the baked goods, what are some of the particulars of that legislation or that proposed bill?
2: The one that is currently yes. in the works? Yes. Well, every state's law will have a couple components. It will um, state what foods are allowed, where you can sell, and how much you can gross. The current bill, which I have not been involved with, put it this way, Sylvia, if it passes, will still be the most restrictive law in the country. Uh, now my favorite, it has to do with the gross sales cap. Right. The gross sales cap currently proposed is 7500 dollars a year that's gross sales that's not profit and that is by far the lowest in the country over 23 states now don't even have a gross sales cap but the vast majority are in the 25,000 range
1: anything uh okay so we had this uh wonderful wind thank you so much lisa della and chris on wednesday what happens next
2: So on Wednesday, the State Circuit Court in Lafayette County, bottom line, as you said, struck down Wisconsin's current ban on selling home-baked baked goods, that the law is unconstitutional and is very influenced by cronyism and big business and influences by groups like the Wisconsin Bakers Association that have rallied against it. Specifically what happened, and this is important because it's great that the ruling was in our favor and is getting a lot of press, but we can't start baking yet because the state asked for what's called a stay, which basically means that the judge's ruling will not go into effect if they appeal or while they're considering an appeal. And that's what the judge needs to hear more information on towards the end of the month. Hopefully he will strike that request for a stay down Hopefully the state will not appeal. I have no idea personally what's in it for them because, again, remember, the state represents the citizens. The state represents you and us, and why are they fighting this? And also uh, we'll have some clarity. So hold your spatulas just yet, but we'll know more, specifically into probably early July.
1: You mentioned that even when this bill finally gets sealed and signed, um, that it will be the most restrictive, at least with a cap, is there any way of influencing that cap at this point?
2: You bet. It is not. A, it's a bill. It's going through the process. It's currently going into committee. And, yeah, now is the time to contact your state uh, representative in the, both the Senate and Assembly. The bill was introduced in the Senate. So that's where it would go up for a vote first and express this fact. It um, We, as Bakers in Wisconsin, as business people in Wisconsin, need to be at the forefront of leading entrepreneurship and truly be, as every sign says when you come into Wisconsin, open for business, not dead laugh.
1: Right. You know, it's it's really kind of interesting. I was chatting with some farmers in Minnesota about, no, was it two, three weeks ago? And they were so n- aware of this battle to um, win the right to sell farm-baked goods in Wisconsin. And, and their, um, their question to me was, What's with Wisconsin? We don't get it. Why are they prohibiting uh, the sale of farm baked goods? Uh, a very different kind of attitude um, looking across the state line. And I'm so glad, Lisa, that you mentioned that there's still opportunity to affect that cap on how much a farmer could earn. Uh, over the course of a year and that's a gross figure 7500 you know when it comes to the kind of labor and, and really high-quality ingredients that are required to make a fantastic muffin or cookie or loaf of bread
2: um, you can reach that cap pretty fast sure you and I should start making wedding cakes, Sylvia oh 7500 won't go real far if you're selling wedding cakes
0: not at all explain what that cap means exactly
2: So some states, uh, but again, as I mentioned, over 20 states don't have a gross sales gap. Identify how much a business can earn, and typically it is gross sales. So that's bottom line a cap. If you go over that, then you would fall under commercial requirements, which, trust me, is a great thing. I'm all for supporting entrepreneurs to move into uh, commercial kitchens when their size necessitates that, and 7500 is not the adequate size. There's great examples from other states of cottage food success stories. Uh, Dorothy Stainbrook, an organic berry farmer in Minnesota, one of the Profiles in the Homemade-for-Sale book, she started making jams and jellies, in this case under Minnesota's cottage food law, and... She was a bartender in another life and started adding some interesting ingredients. Who knew? Merlot tasted so good with blueberries. And in this case, she exceeded the gross sales cap and installed an on-farm commercial kitchen and invested in that. But it's first in line to say, had she not had those training wheels to get started without going into immediate debt, she would never have been successful.
1: Lisa, some of the people listening today may not understand the, the great cost uh, associated with putting in a commercial kitchen.
2: Have you got any thoughts on that? Definitely. And it's important to realize because the Bakers Association, for example, is throwing out numbers. Like, it's just $5,000. I'm not sure where they get that. Leak. I mean, there, there are various requirements on a kitchen. It's definitely not a commercial kitchen, one-size-fits-all. But bottom line, it needs to be a completely separate kitchen from your home kitchen. So already talking... Space and investment and appliances, and it needs up to be up to commercial code, so that undoubtedly would require uh, additional investment above and beyond uh, just a room. So it's an important distinction to make, but it also has to do with volume. And I was when I mentioned some states that have higher gross sales caps or no gross sales caps. Eventually, you're going to outgrow your kitchen. I mean, I live in a classic Wisconsin four-square farmhouse. My kitchen is only so big. If my muffins take off, if I want that to happen with my business, sure, I'd consider commercial. But the other thing that's important, too, well, two issues that are close to your heart, Sylvia, is number one, if you're making items like your breads that require a slow rise and you need to be in a commercial kitchen situation and secondly, you're in a rural situation, you see how that equation is very, very limiting, a true barrier for rural communities where we don't have – in cases like urban areas, Madison, for example, has a great shared commercial kitchen, feed kitchen. And they're popping up throughout the state, but definitely in much more urban metro areas where the population base is larger.
1: Mm -hmm. And even if there were a commercial kitchen right nearby, you still have to rent that space. And so Mm – if, as you said, Lisa, if you're doing it for a slow-rise bread, I'm looking at days of yep. of having to rent at least part, part of a commercial kitchen in order to get my bread kind of risen and, and baked.
2: Right. S- and that's the part, too, that the, the, the industry side keeps arguing is, well, we have to go through these regulations, therefore everybody does. But as the judge ruled, uh, it's unconstitutional because – Nobody, all these other states that have baked goods have never had any safety violations. They have thrived in these situations by removing barriers, and we cannot have legally, constitutionally, economic protectionism where laws protect one group of business owners and are barriers for another. Right. So
1: under the, the cookie law, how how do you identify what a baked good is? I mean, is it? Uh, it's not raw cookie dough, is it?
2: No, no. That's a great question, and it's super important because we throw around the term baked goods, and technically, what we're talking about is you'll hear the term non-hazardous baked goods, and there's a scientific definition of a water activity level of 0.85 or less. But an easy way to understand it conceptually is items. That are low moisture that do not require refrigeration, mm. which makes total sense, right? You're taking something to a farmer's market, you're selling it to somebody, it's not in a refrigerated case. So that has to do with moisture content. So, number one, the vast majority of baked goods qualify under this your breads, cookies, cakes, that sort of thing. What gets gray and is an important distinction is. When you start talking about filled products, Mm. when you start talking about frosting, I know, there's cake bakers hopefully listening are like, wait a minute, but I use buttercream. Well, you can't because, again, you couldn't bring that to the market all day and let it sit out there. So Ah. so instead of frosting, these types of non-hazardous baked goods use what we like to call icing. So there's a lot of options and opportunities there. But if you're at all... um, in doubt. And there's several muffin recipes, for example, I make here at the B&B that I'm sort of like, hmm, I wonder if those would qualify as low moisture, particularly sweetbreads and muffins that would use, oh, I have one with a pumpkin puree or grated carrot. Right. You know, they're really moist. They taste great, but they might not be considered non-hazardous. So that responsibility is upon each baking entrepreneur. But we can't say everything is not hazardous And even to use a category, someone is asking, well, can I do cake? I'm like, well, some cakes. But again, if it's filled with custard, definitely not. If it has that infamous buttercream, definitely not.
1: So where would someone go to in order to get these kinds of details about the law?
2: Yeah. Well, there's no law. <laughs> That's the point. Right, right. Um, and if and when we get to that stage, eventually – this would fall under the department of agriculture so you would should see information there just like you do right now if you looked up the pickle bill for high acid foods in the meantime for folks looking to educate themselves both the homemade for sale book goes into the definition and the minnesota farmers market has some really good resources as does the minnesota department of agriculture just to look at our sister state there that goes into more specifics there is a scientific test you can have done on your product to test for this water activity level it's like they'll look at your recipe basically and evaluate it Mm. and that's like 25 bucks so if you're at all in doubt or have a question that would also be an easy route to go
1: now where would someone go to have that test done
2: there's different science labs and some of the states i believe like minnesota that allow well i'm sorry every other state that allows (laughs) non hazardous baked goods could have some resources there, but there's um yep, that's so, that do that. So again, the vast majority of things are fine under the non-hazardous definition, and you can kind of get a sense. You know, if it's obviously something that you would put in the refrigerator, probably not. But if you're at all in question, most definitely have it tested. But uh, again, breads, cookies, uh, cake pops, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and two other important things for folks to remember is. We are talking about baked items. So it can't be something where you just assemble ingredients, even if some of those were baked, like a trail mix, for example, would not qualify. And we are only talking about food products. So these are products that you sell, again, at the market, for example, somebody takes home and in theory eats. Not food service. So I can sell you a cake, but I can't cut that up and put it on a plate and sell it to you with a fork. Because that would uh, be food service, it would fall under the Department of Health, and we would have to have a much longer show to talk about those regulations.
1: It's amazing what's out there. So, if someone were to want to take a look at the the Senate bill, is that something they can look at, or is, or where are we in that legislative process?
2: Sure, it currently went to committee. So, this the current bill will probably, if history is evidence. Inch along slowly over the next couple of months. The Wisconsin Farmers Union is a great state resource we have that tracks and supports these type of issues, uh, both for uh, farmers but anybody interested. So their website would be a good one to check out when there's a call for action or sign up for their e-newsletter because they will um, announce that. But typically, when a bill is discussed in committee that is open to the public and people are welcome and encouraged to come as well as write their representatives. All right. So when it comes to
1: what listeners can do, what kind of, what kind of support can we lend to all of
2: this? I was laughing. I'm like, give me a little more patience because <laughs> I want to start baking because, uh, but I'm learning democracy takes time and in about a month, We should get more clear direction from this current ruling on what can happen. If the judge's ruling will go into effect, we in Wisconsin will be able to sell our baked goods. We will not need a law to allow us to do that because the judge's ruling will hold. We will eventually, hopefully, have a law. And I personally am all for having reasonable regulations. We just never got got them, so we had to go this other route. Uh, That... If that happens, that's particularly important then for folks to educate themselves on what non-hazardous goods are and play by the rules, even if we don't have any formal rules yet, because we need to champion this and we need to understand it and really work together as a baking entrepreneurial community to do things right. I well, get that question all the time. It's like, well, why would you do this whole lawsuit thing? You could have just baked and sold to people and just not tell anybody. And obviously people do that, and it happens. But that's not what I and Chris and Della want to be, is underground entrepreneurs. We want to be legit, and more importantly, we want all of us to be legitimate and really grow our local economies here in Wisconsin.
1: Well, that's a great distinction. So this is not necessarily about moving a bill, but actually removing a ban and then following some of the the cottage food kind of rules that uh kind of make a whole lot of sense as we move forward
2: exactly we we're all getting a uh education on the murkiness of the legal system whether we want it or not but they really are as we all learn back in schoolhouse rock days distinct branches of government so we have the legislative that passes laws they have not passed the law because it's never gone on the House for a vote is one factor in that. So that is not moving forward. So we have moved things to the judicial route. Mm-hmm. That's where we had the victory this week. And how all these branches play together will be evident in the next couple of months. But it uh, eventually we, we will. We should have a law, and we should have more specific direction from the Department of Agriculture to, like with the the Pickle bill, But, again, the the barrier right now with the current proposed legislation is that really low gross sales cap. Because even if we change it, we have to go through this whole process again. Hmm. And I keep going back to the fact, which I have a very hard time understanding why our state can't see this and the Department of Justice in our state keeps fighting it, We are the only state in the nation that had this ban, that doesn't have a law, and we don't want to enter the playing field with the lowest gross sales cap. That's embarrassing.
0: I'm curious, Lisa, how do uh, bake sales get around the law?
2: Ah, great question. We have a separate state law that basically allows service groups, nonprofits, to do 12 bake sales a year. Now... That also is confusing, right? Why, if you are selling a muffin for the Girl Scouts, it's considered safe, yet if I sell you my muffin that I just served you at my bed and breakfast, it's not. Fortunately, the judge saw through all this bureaucratic influence because it is irrational. This doesn't make any sense. And by all means, let's have baked goods. But by all means, let's also have food entrepreneurs.
1: Got it. And and I I, <clears throat> I agree. Let's um, if you're out there, you're a farmer or you're someone who loves to consume farm baked goods. Let's get to our elected officials and let them know that we should not enter this playing field with the most restrictive "don't do business here" kind of standards um, in the in the United States. Well, Lisa. Uh, maybe you can leave us with one more thought about who, uh, what kind of uh, website some people might be able to go to to stay current on what's going on.
2: Sure, sure. Well, I'll be posting to our homemadeforsale.com book site. There's also a Wisconsin Cottage Food Facebook page and the Wisconsin Farmers Union, uh, and The reality is in these situations, there's lots of information out there that gets spread around, but but do look at those three, because those I can guarantee will have accurate information on them. And one other thing, Sylvia, too, is when we started this and you asked about Chris and I, Della and I doing this together, a lesson for me and a learning is that laws change because citizens want them changed. And yes, sometimes it's a long fight like ours, sometimes it needs to involve that judicial branch. But... If we as citizens don't stand up to laws and regulations that we feel unjust, nobody's going to do it for us.
1: Well, thank you so much, Lisa, Della, and Chris. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thanks a lot, thank Lisa. Thank you.
2: We'll keep you posted.
1: Okay. I bye want bye to buy your
2: bread. <laughs>
1: Thanks.
0: We've been talking to Lisa Kivris on the, uh, what do we call this, the cookie law?
1: Yeah, it's the cookie law. It's about the recent win that uh, mm-hmm. a judge found the ban on the Wisconsin uh, Wisconsin farm sales of baked goods to be unconstitutional. Okay, And so we'll move forward from there. All right,
0: give us your website, Sylvia.
1: It is bronxtobarn.com, B-R-O-N-X-T-O-B-A-R-N.com. And I'll post some additional information about this uh, in the next week. Okay, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye now.
0: Now it's time